0: happy Monday. But this just isn't any Monday. I know what you're thinking. It's the 4th of July, right? Well, yes, you're correct. It is the 4th day of the month of July. But it's also something else. It's our three-year anniversary of Beauty Reform School. I thought this episode would be a great time to discuss how short we've come in beauty. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this commemorative episode of Beauty Reform School. Oh, hi. You stumbled across Beauty Reform School, the podcast that explores beauty, style, reinvention, self-care, all from the perspective of the outside looking in. We pick apart the classics so you can confidently break the mold. And I'm your host Bad Bad PJ Brown, the artist, the educator, the retail grunt, the problem child, the one who's done it the hard way for decades. And now I'm passing the savings on to you. So bring me your tired, your confused, your weirdos, your others yearning to breathe free. And if this sounds like you grab your pen And grab your scratch pad. And let's figure this crap out together. Right here. At Beauty Reform School. I had a great idea of getting a guest to celebrate with me this year. But with all the current events, it's been very hard to get people here. And that's understandable. But as they say, the show must go on. As for brass tacks, it's a bit of a mixed bag I have two more gigs to go this month and I got to do an amazing gig last week and I'm still plugging along and on the day after that horrible decision came down I was met on the stairwell by a man who had his junk out and was peeing right in the middle of the stairs you heard me right I immediately began cursing up a storm mostly out of shock then anger and I'll be honest with you I haven't seen a penis in a very long time, and I wasn't exactly thrilled to see it then. But in true toxic masculinity, his first response was, Fuck you, you broke-ass bitch. Now on one hand, accurate. On the other hand, what on earth does that have to do with having your dick in your hand in the middle of the day? I can't. And I won't. Um... Which brings me back to the question I had a while back. Are there any plans to put some mental health support in place for us? We are constantly being hit with trauma again and again and again and again. Our mental health is being filleted constantly and no one is seemingly willing to do anything about it. We are constantly bombarded with a cavalcade of drama on a daily basis, often multiple times a day. And I've gotten to the point that I really don't get on social media too much for fear of being presented with a video showing me some sort of horrid event, some sort of trauma, be it racial, sexist, something to do with body negativity, homophobia, and yet we're still expected to go about our day unaffected because, you know, capitalism. My sister tagged me in something on Facebook, and I made a snarky comment, which was quickly tagged, and I was warned for a violation. A snarky comment. Apparently, I'd crossed some sort of line that I was supposed to, wasn't supposed to say something, use a certain word, or whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't, I I trust, trust me, it was not anything like, you know, bad, bad, but, um... You know, I you know, I did. I might have mentioned choking someone at some point, but um, that crossed a violation. And I clearly said it. If anyone read it, they would have seen that it was in jest. Um, it said to had a lot of I love yous and all that stuff. But anyway, I had crossed the line. All right, I crossed the line. I crossed the line. But yet, I can be greeted in broad day with a penis. Make it make sense. I know, I know, I'm coming in hot. But that's the reason that I made this podcast in the first place. To talk about all this stuff and to give you some beauty tips and history along the way. Speaking of beauty tips, the Patreon is stalling. Some of that is my fault because I'm struggling to figure out what kind of content to put there. So I need your help. Let me know what you'd like to see what kind of special features you would enjoy on our Patreon. And I'll let you know how to contact us later in the episode. But for now, let me tell you what Patreon offers. I've had a few people ask me about consultations and advice, and I have good news. Beauty Reform School now has a Patreon. Different tiers will give you different opportunities. You can contribute in small ways to offer support and help fund the production of the podcast, or you can contribute in larger ways and book one of the consultations with yours truly from everything from natural tutorial consultations to brand recommendations, troubleshooting and advice. My very favorite is the mirror consultation, where I will walk you through step-by-step how to do a particular beauty application. I'll even demonstrate as we go. Your support will provide much-needed things like helping with production costs, equipment, and hopefully one day being able to hire more staff. More staff leads to more services, and hopefully one day even live shows. So go on over to patreon.com and sign up if you can. Did I mention you get a shout out on the podcast? Well, you do. Resources for today's episode are thedailystar.net, theclassicjournal.ugh.edu, Wikipedia, Dot hks.harvard.edu, chiasia.myblog.arts.ac.uk. And now, without further ado, let's get on with the episode. First up is going to be the Daily Star, which gives us a nice baseline. Okay, here we go. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Someone said a long time ago, according to this proverb, beauty is subjective. What looks beautiful to one might not appeal to another. Yet when it comes to beauty in terms of physical appearance, is it really subjective? Aren't we consciously or subconsciously influenced by certain standards when we think about beauty on the outside? These beauty standards are not set according to a certain individual's personal taste they reflect trends visible in mainstream media slowly setting an ideal of what a man or a woman should look like or at least try to look like thus expectations are created based on which we judge whether someone is beautiful or not however some of these expectations superficial as they are are not universal In some cases, what is perfectly fine for men is unacceptable for women with no good reason and vice versa. So let's look at some of these standards. But before we do, I just want to throw this in here. In general, beauty has been binary. It has been what what is masculine versus what is feminine. And I think... That is a definite slice of that problem. Um, It is so singular. It is so boxed in. And this is not a rant about gender, nonconformity. However, the fact that beauty still hasn't stepped up to acknowledge that, in most cases, in most cases, asterisks in most cases, is problematic. And that is something that needs to be worked on. Um, The scope of beauty needs to be widened and broadened in general. All right. Having said that, let's move on. So body and facial hair. All human bodies grow hair unless you have alopecia. And we have discussed that. If you'd like to go back to our alopecia episode, if you want to know more, um, the most coveted body hair is the one that grows on our heads. But as far as for the rest of the body, beauty standards diverge drastically between the two sexes for men, body hair is a symbol of manliness, especially in some areas like the torso and the face. Although, in some settings, a clean-shaven face is preferred, men don't have to worry much about the hair on their bodies as long as it grows on the desired structure of skin. (laughs) True. For women, it's a completely different story. Movies, TV shows, and glossy fashion magazines give one the illusion that women are born without a single hair follicle except those responsible for hair, eyebrows, and eyelashes. Even the models in Hair Removal Cream commercials don't have any body hair. These commercials always make me wonder what so-called imperfections they want to remove from their already smooth, flawless skin. A cursory glance at one's arms and legs is enough to debunk the myth that women don't have body hair. Yet many women go through great lengths to regulate or eradicate the growth of body hair, spending a significant amount of time and money to wax, shave, or laser the undesirable hair away. Hair is allowed to grow in certain places like the eyebrows, but that too is carefully monitored by regular threading, lest the two arches become too unruly or even worth join in the middle to form a unibrow. I'm going to say right now, transparency time. I have always, always been obsessed with removing hair from myself. I did not know at the time that it really wasn't a beauty standard thing. it was an an autism spectrum slash a d h d thing I was unaware of that i it was distracting and I wanted it gone it kept i kept looking at it it kept bothering me I wanted to remove it so I did for the course of my entire life. I sat there and plucked each and every hair on my legs with tweezers and now they don't grow back at all. Um, But that's over. We're talking decades worth of me plucking every rogue hair I saw on my, on my legs. And I didn't grow a lot of hair on my legs to begin with. So I think maybe that is part of the problem because when I saw a rogue hair pop up, it annoyed me. So I had to get it gone. So, and I did. And interestingly enough, my sister, she has hairy legs and she loves them and I used to tease her back in the day so I apologize chip chip I'm very sorry that I um used to tease you about your legs I used to tell her I was like I'm gonna shave them I'm gonna pluck them Um, and she'd go no but um I wasn't doing that to tell her that they weren't beautiful I was just doing that to be annoying so I hope she knows that anyway um so let me see. Oh, yeah. It says, uh, this is not to say that I'm considering women who get rid of their body and facial. Oh, I'm condemning women who get rid of their body and facial hair. After all, it depends on personal preference. However, we need to question the stigma surrounding something as natural as body hair. In certain medical conditions like PCOS and severe hirsutism. A woman might have excessive body hair, but hair in itself doesn't threaten one's health. Therefore, there's no reason to be afraid of hair on female bodies. Now, it's not far from the truth to say that most people like to look presentable. Even if not always, we like to look nice and try to leave a good impression on others. In addition, since skin is an important organ of our bodies, we take various measures to to tend to it. We groom ourselves to various degrees, but it is also safe to say that women tend to put more effort into their preening than men do. A discussion on the grooming patterns of women is incomplete without the mention of makeup. A dash Oh, oh a dash of colors on one's face can do wonders to enhance their facial features and therefore rule the world outside. Makeup can boost self-esteem because its sole purpose is to make you look good within limits of course. For these reasons, makeup is an indispensable part of our daily routine and so is skin care. We bathe ourselves with creams, face masks, and other substances I can't name so that our skin remains its best self all of this is good and counts as important self-care but would it be wrong in saying that our society a woman's physical appearance overshadows her other qualities and as a result of which women are pressured into diverting a little too much attention to their outer beauty than is sometimes necessary in a vox video called is beauty culture hurting us several women are shown going through their elaborate skincare and makeup routines while they share their insecurities about their appearance. It shows how even the most inconsequential comments, such as pointing out a wrinkle, can trigger anxiety in women, sometimes leading them to invest in expensive procedures just to hide these insecurities, like getting eyelash extensions. The video also mentions how less is expected of men to make themselves presentable. As long as a man maintains his hygiene and wears clean clothes he's good to go however we would be wrong to assume that the insecurities of so many women share about their faces completely bypass men they too have skin thus they too have blemishes scars pimples yet according to some unwritten rule of conventional masculinity Men are discouraged from paying too much attention to their outer appearance, since it's so-called it's a so-called womanly thing. Therefore, they are often excluded from self-care practices. Most skincare products are marketed towards women instead of all genders. Most men don't even know that there are makeup lines that cater especially to men with products like concealers, contours, and foundation. Thus... There is a very noticeable imbalance between how men and women are supposed to groom themselves according to beauty standards. Women are expected to rely too much on their outer beauty to determine their self-worth and men are expected to do the opposite, not care about their outer beauty at all. In order to get rid of these stigmas, we need to talk less about women's physical appearance because that's just a tiny fraction of their personalities and we should normalize men boosting their self-confidence by taking care of their face and skins and most importantly we should do away with these mostly nonsensical ideas because it is more important to cultivate our inner beauty to build a better society that doesn't judge people based on beauty standards next up is the classic journal Gender violence is a plague across most societies historically and presently. Bioarchaeology is uniquely situated to shed more light on the subjects since the human body is culturally shaped by the practice of groups. Studying gender violence through markers on bones can tell a story of what a particular society's attitude towards women was and with the help of, oh boy, ethnographic accounts to supplement details, a social science approach becomes more practical and informative. Also, the bioarchaeological evidence can challenge the historical narrative and can be used to disprove stereotypes and reinterpret misconceptions. A social science approach can help bioarchaeologists puzzle out the way of life that they see mapped out on the bones and burial sites, and this in turn can help professionals connect with issues that the general public face today. Movements for equality have mobilized and united women across cultural borders, and it is beneficial to study the different forms of oppression that women had to endure in the past societies because some of the problems brought up in this paper are still highly relevant today to study this widespread human i I can't words today to study this widespread humanitarian issue it must be recognized that gender violence can be cultural structural sexual and physical sometimes there are inequitable power structures amongst women And other times we find evidence of women who resisted and fought against external violence. Love it. It is important to note that the distinction between direct and indirect harm that affects women, physical and or sexual abuse, such as domestic violence is or rape is direct harm on a person. This can take form as blunt force trauma, healed fractures and chipped facial bone. Structural violence is more on how a power dynamic or a social norm negatively affects a plural group of people that share a common trait. That's jo- Johan Galtung in Violence, Peace, and Peace Research. He explains it as such. This may not be any person who directly harms another person in the structure. The violence is built into the structure and shows up as unequal power and consequently as unequal life ch- chances mm-hmm. that was brought up um, to point out the next section which is some of the most dramatic and best examples of structural violence as seen on the bones of women is the work done by Dr. Pamela K. Stone If we were to look at modern society today and what it has been doing to damage young girls' self-worth, what is the most prevalent is body shaming and the idealism of beauty. What is considered beauty or attractive is all rooted in social context and the generally accepted norms. In modern North America, the image of an ideal woman is long silky hair, big breasts, narrow hips unblemished skin, and the list goes on. These notions of what is beautiful and how women and young girls are expected to be are not new social constructs. Rather, they have just been evolving over time and space for centuries. Stone states that bioarchaeology should focus on the skeletal markers of body modifications on female remains as they are direct reflection of indirect culture violence. Some examples of this is the well-known and studied practices such as foot binding, wearing neck rings, and Victorian corsets. Now, this is not a diss on any what any culture chooses to do, more as us studying these, um, studying these cultures for a moment. Just taking a look, just taking a peek. So foot binding was popular in, in China and it was exclusive to women. Mothers would start binding their daughter's feet at age 5 when the bones were malleable and would compress the feet so tightly that the four smaller toes were turned until they were on top of one another. Dirty bandages were replaced only once a month, creating a significant risk of toes falling off from lack of circulation and contracting a gangrene infection. The process stunted the growth of the feet and the damage was non-reversible in x-rays the bones do not appear deformed but just rotated and lost in 2005 stephen r cummings examined elderly women in beijing who had deformities from bound feet these women were more likely to fall and get hip fractures due to lack of stability without that they were unable to do weight-bearing activities and move their muscles enough resulting in generally poor bone health overall the examined women reported lifelong disability and were at higher risk for conditions such as osteoporosis. Like with foot binding, girls started wearing neck rings at age 5 and by 40 could wear up to 32 rings. The weight pressing down from on their clavicles and ribs would have caused tension between their head and shoulders. And this would have the illusionary effect of a long neck, however, the woman would also have limited mobility. The practice continues today and now researchers have a better understanding of its impact on the human skeleton. In 2005, oh, I don't know, I don't want to mispronounce this, Donjai, I'm just going to use that name, I'm not going to mess up the last one, examined 61 women who had worn neck rings since childhood and found that developmental changes range from shorter faces and narrower widths of the um, mandible okay with removal of the rings and a neck brace the women could perform exercises that could reverse the effect of the rings in the victorian era it was considered fashionable for elite women to wear tightly bound corsets the corsets exacerbated problems of childhood rickets and the young girls were encouraged to stay out of the sun and stay as thin as possible resulting in resulting in malnourishment This resulted in lasting impacts on the pelvis girdle, such as flattening it in the front and the back. The added pressure from the corset would result in in a decreased waist size and subsequently would make pregnancy and childbirth even more dangerous for the life of the mother and the fetus. Just like the women who bound their feet or wore neck rings, the high-status ladies of the Victorian London Society had suffered from chronic health issues for the rest of their lives all due to their community's conception of what was beautiful. All of the above acts of internalized violence are kinds of structural violence towards women, in these cases abusing younger women and girls. And when it was time for girls to start binding their feet, wearing neck rings, or being trapped in tight corsets, it was their mothers who got them started. This is the extent of how ingrained harmful cultural practices and the structure of unequal power can be. Wikipedia says physical attractiveness is the degree to which a person's physical features are considered aesthetically pleasing or beautiful. The term applies often sexual attractiveness or desirability but can also be distinct from either. There are many factors which influence one person's attraction to another with physical aspects being one of them. Physical attraction itself includes universal perceptions common to all human cultures, such as facial facial symmetry, sociocultural dependent attributes, and and personal preferences unique to a particular individual. In many cases, humans subconsciously attribute positive characteristics, such as intelligence and honesty, to physically attractive people. From research done in the United States and United Kingdom, it was found that the association between intelligence and physical attractiveness is stronger among men than among women. Evolutionary psychologists have tried to answer why individuals who are more physically attractive should also, on average, be more intelligent, and have put forward the notion that both general intelligence and physical attractiveness may be indicators of underlying genetic fitness. A person's physical characteristics can signal clues to fertility and health, with statistical modeling studies showing that the facial shape variables that reflect aspects of physical health, including body fat and blood pressure, also influence observers' perceptions of health. Attending to these factors increases reproductive success, furthering the representation of one's genes in the population. Heterosexual men, on average, tend to be attracted to women who have a youthful appearance and exhibit features such as a symmetrical face, full breast, full lips, and a low waist-hip ratio. Heterosexual women, on average, tend to be attracted to men who are taller than they are and who, have, who display a high degree of facial symmetry, masculine facial dysmorphism, upper body strength, broad shoulders, a relatively narrow waist, and a V shaped torso. Bound chicka wow wow. The Mannerist movement was not afraid to exaggerate body proportions for an effect considered attractive. Juno and a niche engraving by Jacopo Caraggio Caraglio, I guess. Probably of a drawing by Rosso Fiorentino, Fiorentino, yes. Generally physical attractiveness can be viewed from a number of perspectives with universal perceptions being common to all human cultures, culture and societal aspects and individual subjective preferences. This perception of attractiveness can have a significant effect on how people are judged in terms of employment or social opportunities friendship, sexual behavior, and marriage. Some physical features are attractive in both men and women, particularly bodily and facial symmetry. And although one contrary report suggests that absolute flawlessness with perfect symmetry can be, quote, disturbing, end quote, you're not wrong. <laughs> symmetry may be evolutionarily beneficial as a sign of health because Asymmetry signals past illness or injury. How dare you! One study suggested that people were able to gauge beauty at a subliminal level by seeing only a glimpse of a picture for one hundredth of a second. Other important factors include youthfulness, skin clarity and smoothness of skin and vivid color quote unquote, in the eyes and hair. However, there are numerous differences based on gender. And in 1921, a study of the reports of college students regarding those traits in individuals which make for attractiveness and repulsiveness argued that static traits such as beauty or ugliness of features hold a position subordinate to groups of physical elements like expressive behavior, affectionate disposition, grace of manner, aristocratic bearing, social accomplishments, and personal habits. Grammar and colleagues have identified eight pillars of beauty. Youthfulness, symmetry, averageness, really, sex hormone markers, body odor, motion, motion, skin complexion, and hair texture. All right. Also pointing out that traditionally in Samoa, body fat was acceptable and or attractive. Hey now, whoop, whoop. So to what end? Harvard says, American women spend an average of 45 minutes grooming each day and make up 80 to 90% of the $115 billion industry for beauty products, affected, affecting both their time and financial resources. Feminist writers have long critiqued the burden that beauty imperatives place on women. A key critique came from Naomi Wolf, who argued that after feminist second wave, the pressure placed on women to pursue beauty increased dramatically, reflecting a backlash against women's progress and increasing power in workplaces and other domains. The prescriptive beauty norm, PBN, is a term that describes this social phenomenon where women feel social pressure to intensely pursue beauty. Mm -mm -mm. social science research shows that women believe that their value is determined by their beauty which translates into their self-objectification viewing their bodies from an external perspective negatively impacts women and gender equality women's self-object Oh, women's self-objectification has been found to be associated with decreased political activism for gender equality, less assertiveness in cross-gender interactions, and poor performance on math assessments. When women are objectified, observers perceive them as less competent. This study tests cultural critics' hypotheses assessing that the motivation behind those who Sir, who uphold the prescriptive beauty norm, PBA, the workplace backlash known as the beauty tax against women who failed to conform, and the relationship between the PBN and Orthodox religious values that uphold gender hierarchy. All of this time, who knew that PBN was hitting me in the head? Peanut butter Nutella. mm. mm, mm. Now i'm not sure if she pronounced her name jessica or jessica but she blogs whenever we discuss issues and ideals related to physical beauty and women's bodies we need to be conscious of the male gaze in basic terms the concept refers to heterosexual men objectifying women and judging their value almost entirely on physical characteristics beauty ideals are sure to be distinct among different racial and nationality groups The gaze is a term that describes how viewers engage with visual media. Originating in film theory and criticism in the 1970s, the gaze refers to how we look at visual representations. These include advertisements, television programs, and cinema. When we talk about the gaze they are referring to the, quote, male gaze, end quote. But what does that really mean? And is there a female equivalent? Where did the concepts of male gaze come from? In feminist history, the male gaze is the act of depicting women and the world in the visual arts and in literature. It suggests a sexualized way of looking that empowers men and objectifies women. In the male gaze, women... Woman is visually positioned as an object of heterosexual male desire. In the visual and aesthetic presentations of narrative cinema, the male gaze has three perspectives one, that of the man behind the cinema, two, that of the male characters within the film's cinematic representations, and three, that of the spectator gazing at the image. The cinematic concept of the male gaze was introduced by scholar and filmmaker Laura Mulvey in her essay, essay, Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema in 1975. Although sometimes described as the male gaze, Mulvey's concept is more accurately described as a heterosexual masculine gaze. Visual media that respond to masculine voyeurism tends to sexualize women for a male viewer. As Mulvey wrote, women who are characterized by their to be looked atness in cinema, is, woman is spectacle and man is the bearer of the look. Hmm. As fiction imitates life and vice versa, the male gaze has become a familiar cultural perspective. Yet research finds that the male gaze has significant and pervasive psychological costs for women that they might not even be aware of. The male gaze plays out the most obviously in two main areas, actual interpersonal and social encounters and exposure to visual media that spotlights women's bodies and body parts, depicting them as the target of a non-reciprocated male gaze through media representations and direct experience both women and girls learn their appearance is social currency and begin to take the male gaze's perspective well the male gazers perspective the process of habitual body monitoring wherein women monitor their bodies as they believe outside observers do is called self objectification and over time As women place more attention on their appearance, they begin to internalize this observer view of their bodies as a primary way to think about themselves and end up placing greater value on how they look rather than how they feel. And in everyday life, women experience multiple physical and social contexts, i.e. social media, magazine, conversations, which trigger self-objectification self-objectification are triggered in a variety of contexts and negatively affect women's well-being as indicated by their reports of diminished feelings of vitality flow and positive effect throughout their day as psychologists well suggested performing daily grooming rituals in front of a mirror is perhaps one of the most common ways a woman self-objectifies taking the perspective of another before they appear in public. In in The Second Sex, Simone de Bouvier suggested taking back the male gaze through gazing at her own reflection in the mirror. She spoke of the euphoria of drowning in one's own image as a decidedly private experience. The mirror can be used to find how self-objectification is affecting one's internal state by observing one's own emotions. Women can then shift from objectifying themselves and feeling anxious through the male gaze to seeing their own identity and feeling self-compassion. What I I would explore further is, though at first blush, it may seem a bit narcissistic and self-involved. Women can and do derive pleasure from gazing at their own image without comparison to cultural beauty status or intrusion of the male gaze. Meanwhile, I am trying to figure out by the end of this project and intend to somehow express in a society that tells women their external appearance matters, perhaps more than anything else, gazing at oneself can be a way to take power back and to claim oneself fully and lovingly. Well put. Now I will say this. All of this is to say while I like looking at history because it does teach me a lot and it gives me a great perspective, it is important that we really boil it down to that. We already know, we know about the male gaze now, if we hadn't before. And we do know the trickery that the beauty industry puts on us often. We do know that, um if you do not, feel free to start at the beginning of this podcast series, and uh we'll get there. but if you've been listening all this time you will you would you will have already gleaned keep it together, Peach. you will have already gleaned that that is the case. We can take that though put it to the side once we know this and we can focus on what brings us joy and what brings us bliss. Beauty is not evil. The way it's manipulated is. And one of the key things in beauty is what brings you joy. If you do something for yourself, if you wanted to try something on yourself and you like how it looks and it gives you a sense of euphoria and happiness, then you're in the right place. If you put something on and you feel like a clown, as they say, then you're in the wrong place and that look is not for you. If there's something that you wanted to try and once you did it feels like too much then you can dial it back a little bit there are ways to do that and we're here to show you how but the most important thing is to feel good about what you're doing that's the most important thing and when you get that achievement is unlocked hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, it was a pleasure bringing it to you. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for making it possible for me to continue doing this project and this podcast for all these years. We might not be a big group, but we're a good group. And if I've managed to teach you a little something and given you a new perspective on beauty, then I've done my job. Moreover, if I have helped you to love yourself a little bit more, and appreciate the beauty around you in a different way I am content and if you haven't already please remember to share like follow tell a friend I know it can be tedious sometimes but it keeps us alive in the algorithm and it makes us easy to find for new people so we can continue building this beautiful community of ours and as always I'm looking for your stories and your people You're wonderful people, you're creatives that can share their experiences with us. If you don't know how to reach us, you can do so in one of three ways. Instagram at Beauty Reform School, Facebook, also Beauty Reform School, or you can go right to the source at beautyreformschool.com. This year, I'm doing something a little bit different. I'll be taking two weeks off to prepare for the upcoming season and have a little mental health break that means our next episode will be July 26th feel free to take that time to catch up on some old episodes that I reference the quality is not as good but the content is and thank you so much for your listenership and thank you in advance for your listenership in the future and pencils down classes dismissed and I'll see you next season on the 26th.